And in this odd twist of fate, I have ended up living my adult life here in the Midwest, and God has planted her family down in Texas. Um, but the blessing of this is that whenever I go back to visit my family, I've been able to regularly catch up with her for an afternoon or an overnight. And so over time, we've really watched our families grow and uh, our children become young adults, and they have actually become friends. And again, in the odd twist of fate, her son is now in the Midwest, and my daughter's down in Texas. Um, but one afternoon when I was visiting, and our kids were still really little, um, her son, Ben, was maybe about four or five years old. And as we pulled up, he met us on the driveway, and he was so excited. He wanted to show me their pantry. And I'm like, okay, well, what is this? So he takes me by the hand, and I am fully ready, expecting to um, express surprise and appreciation maybe for his newfound uh, snack food. Um, but as he opens the door to the pantry, um, what he wants to show me is the pantry door. And as he points at it, he's like, look, I've grown. You see, Liz started to measure on their birthdays the heights of her children on the inside of the pantry door, marking their name and the year uh, at their birthday so that they could look back at that and see how, often, how much they had grown over the past year. Now, uh, we were very honored when Liz offered to mark my daughter's height as well on the inside of her pantry door, and her kids wanted to be measured too. They're like, measure us, measure us too. And, and she's like, no, we only do that once a year. But we held up a finger right at Ben's height so that he could step away and look and see that even in the few months since his birthday, he indeed had grown also. You see, growth is hard to see. It's harder even to measure. Growth comes slow and undetectable. It's the result of a thousand little things. For physical growth, it might be one more glass of milk that helps to aid your bones to grow or one more rep at the gym that's strengthening those muscles. For growth in abilities, it might be that repetitive task that you are doing at work or uh, at practice, something that's going to build your speed, your skill, your confidence. For emotional growth, often what we need is time. Time to pass, the hours, the days that pass since those times of pain and hurt that allow us to put it all into perspective and to get a better view of what it really means in our life and how we can handle it. And for spiritual growth, it's all those daily little times, times we spend with God every day, whether it's morning or night, reading the word of God and prayer. So today, City Churches, we mark the beginning of a new calendar year. I want to open up that metaphorical pantry door and allow each of you to mark your height in one in each of five different areas that Peter highlights for the church in our text today. And choosing one of these areas at the end of the sermon and committing to intentional growth in that area over this year. Because you see, the church is God's ex intentional expression of his household, the knitting together of his people in one family in this age. One family with one purpose and one common identity as followers of Jesus Christ. The church matters to God, and it's important that we keep growing towards his ideal for us. You don't have to look too far to find the failings of the church. Many of you sitting here have been disappointed by a church at one time, or maybe even hurt by a church. I know I have. But yet God pours out his spirit, his grace onto his people, and he wants them to be Christ to one another a community that is independent, that is open, that is vulnerable, and giving of themselves out of joy and gratitude. 
This kind of community reflects God's character both inside the church family and creates a ripple effect and notice, that's noticeable and attractive to everyone outside. So will you pray with me as we begin this series, six-week, seven-week series, I believe, on church matters. Glorious Father, we thank you for the gift of this Christian community, and we ask that you help each one of us to grow and strengthen our church so that we may more clearly reflect your glory. I pray that your word would lodge in each one of our hearts today, and that we would be open to whatever you have to teach each one of us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Open your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 4. It's page 1850 in your pew Bibles, or it's near the end of the New Testament if you've got a Bible app and want to look that up on your phone. Peter wrote this, uh, the first of his epistles, um, to the churches in five Roman provinces in Near Asia. It was about 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection, and he wrote this letter not just to one church, but intended to be a letter that would circulate among the churches because it had important truths that they all needed to know. You see, times had gotten difficult for followers of Christ. Persecution had come, and it had scattered them, so they were more distant from one another and more isolated than they used to be. While most of this letter in 1 Peter addresses how Christians are to believe, behave in the world around them, this particular section addresses how the church is to be with one another. So let's look at this passage starting at verse 7. The end of all things is near. Therefore be alert and of sober mind that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things, God might be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power, now and forever. Amen. Peter sets the context directly, wanting his listeners to remember where they are. The end of all things is near. Consistent with many texts in the Bible, orienting yourself towards Jesus' future return as victorious and triumphant king provides the motivation that we need to keep focused on God and keep that godly perspective right here in the short term. Jesus warned his followers to be ready, for the day and the hour of his return cannot be known. Most scholars don't see this particular words and phrases as a prediction of the end times, but more as a milestone. You see, Jesus' advent his birth, his incarnation that we've just celebrated at Christmas, that marked the beginning and this life, death, and resurrection. That was the end of a previous era, the old covenant era. And the early church was in the prelude of living in a new era to come. Peter's readers were in this time between the times. The old ways had passed and the new ways had not yet fully been created. It's a season that's not going to go on indefinitely. But it's one that his people couldn't fast forward through. Does it feel familiar? This COVID pandemic has changed reality for all of us. 
It's becoming increasingly less useful to refer to what we used to do pre-COVID, the way things used to be, and yet we can't really fully know when this will end or what things will look like once we get there. Layered on top of that for us here, City Church, we're in the middle of the pastoral transition. It's a time when the departure of our founding pastor has created the end of one vision of leadership, and we're still awaiting the call of our next lead pastor. On many fronts, we can't know what this next time will hold. But what we can know is that we should be fully present with God's people, our church family, while we wait. God spoke a similar message to the prophet Jeremiah, and we have a part of it mounted on our wall out there in the lobby. You see, at that time in the Old Testament, the Israelites had been exiled to Babylon. They found themselves in the city where they didn't want to be, and they longed to return to their home. But in the midst of that time, God told them to do the small things that build a community. Build houses, plant gardens, grow families, and by doing all of these small things, they would create a community that would bless the wider city that they found themselves in. Which brings us to our second section. Peter started with the facts about where they were, the time that they were living in, and bookends this section with another orientation point, the why. Why we are to live fully present in God's family, the church. Verse 11 says, So that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. You see, City Church, there is massive significance in our life together as a church that whoever encounters us, whether it be the longtime member or the new guest, whether it is a visitor to our building who comes just for a neighborhood scout meeting or neighborhood association meeting or um, somebody who lives in the neighborhood who comes to one of our events like VBS or Alpha or the Christmas Family Fest, or it might even just be your friends and your classmates that hear you talk about your life as a church. You see, everything we do tells a story about who we are. We want people to be able to see Jesus in us and praise God. Praise God that we're here. Praise God that we're faithful. Praise God that we are generous. Early in this letter, Peter writes in 1 Peter 2.12, Live such good lives among the pagans that they may see your good deeds and glorify God. You see, how we live together is a witness to everyone who encounters the church. God created the church universal around the world and throughout time, and he created our church specifically out of ordinary men and women who gives, he gives life through his Holy Spirit. The church, God, God's family, exists to reflect his character. So what does it look like? to live in God's family, the church. Peter lists five ways that we are to connect with God and one another and to contribute to our community. Prayer, love, hospitality, serving through words and serving through actions. So here's where your handout comes in. As we look at each one of these areas going through the text, I want you to use the bottom of your handout to measure how, how you are doing, how, how, what level of maturity you have gotten to in each one of these five areas. Is this an area that you have matured in, meaning that you do it consistently and regularly, that others around you would say, this is a real strength of yours? Or maybe it's an area that you're more like an adolescent. You know it's right, you know it's valuable, and you know you should be doing it, and you do it sometimes. 
Or maybe in one of these areas, you're more like a child. Um, you do it sometimes when you feel like it, when it's convenient. And some of them, you may be more like a toddler, not even doing it consciously, but looking back at your life and saying, hey, you know, that does come through in my life every once in a while, because that's the outworking of the Holy Spirit within you, working you towards maturity. You see, in God's family, just like in every family, there are varying degrees of maturity, but we're all expected to be on a path to maturing. There's various levels of responsibilities that we each hold, yet we're all expected to be responsible. God's family is interdependent without wanting to focus on creating dependency. You see, we all have something that we can contribute into our family life. And the goal is to strengthen the weak without perpetuating a state of weakness. So be honest with yourself before God as we go through this. No one is looking, just you. You know, you can shield your paper from your spouse or whoever is sitting next to you. Um, but really, take this time to have a little bit of assessment. However you measure your height, whether it is fully mature or still growing in this area, there is room in your life to grow. And the Holy Spirit wants to continue working in your life. So let's take a look at these five. Peter's first imperative to God's people was for spiritual maturity and wisdom in order to empower prayer. Now, the Greek word for prayer here is plural, meaning that Peter intended prayer to be repeated and regular. He's not talking here about table grace or about a three-minute devotion. Prayer is God's way of including us as participants in the work that he wants to do in the world. When we pray according to God's will and and we know what God's will is because we're spending time in the Bible um, and reading and praying with it regularly. So when we pray according to God's will, and then we see God work in that way through our answered prayer, it strengthens our faith. And when we as a community come together and unite in prayer, it's a powerful way of bringing us together, together with one another and closer and together with God. Don't lose the fact, though, here that Peter puts this item of prayer first in his list of five. You see, it's important. It's important before all, before we can love, before we can serve, before we can build relationships. We need to have our own relationship with God, right? It's that vertical relationship that we need to start with and focus on. We need to rid our lives of the things that distract us and distort the voice of the Holy Spirit within us so that we can be more fully present and pray for our brothers and sisters. Jesus emphasized the, the importance of prayer in light of the end of the age. I'm going to share a passage here from Luke 21, and I'm going to share it from the message. It's a little more contemporary paraphrase, but I think it may bring the language more into our today in a relevant way. Jesus was talking to his disciples, and he said, Be on your guard. Don't let the sharp edge of your expectation get dulled by parties and drinking and shopping. Otherwise, the day is going to take you by complete surprise. Spring on you suddenly like a trap, for it's going to come on everyone, everywhere at once. So whatever you do, don't fall asleep at the wheel. Pray constantly that you will have the strength and the wits to make it through everything that's coming and to end up on your feet before the Son of Man. Jesus knew his followers were going to pass through difficult times uncertain times. He didn't direct them to pray for the removal of these times, but instead to pray for the strength needed to make it through 
and at the end to still be standing firm in their faith. So when you look at your prayer life, how would you measure your growth so far? Go ahead and mark it on your... Second on the list of Peter's imperatives is love. Agape love, God-like love that's not primarily an emotion, but a choice to desire and to act for the good of our brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to say that one again. This love, it's a choice. It's a choice to desire, to want, and to act for the good of our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's a heart-level motivation for why we do what we do, whether it's sharing or serving or even speaking. You're likely familiar with the description of love that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians 13. But today, I want you to let these words sink in as you measure your capacity to love deeply. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Love is not proud. Love does not dishonor others. Love is not self-seeking. Love is not easily angered. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Love always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. A love like this is filled with relational generosity. This kind of love, it covers you. It keeps you from sinning, as it's not possible to love at the same time that you're being envious of someone. You can't love someone if you're feeling pride or boasting about your abilities. So this kind of love is protective of you, of your own heart, but this love also protects relationships. This love that doesn't hold on to anger, that doesn't allow bitterness to grow up, and it doesn't keep score. Love doesn't try to ignore or hide destructive patterns that cause real harm. We are to speak the truth in love, especially to protect others. But in other instances, in many instances in our day-to-day life, we need this kind of agape love to smooth out the irritations caused by our fellow imperfect believers. We need to work at this love continually. Because when times of stress and difficulties arise, relationships can get frayed. Scholars have noted that the literal Greek meaning of this word here is love at full stretch. I love that image of the bonds of relationship being stretched, but yet still holding strong. I imagine that these bonds would be stretched, stretched to a place where that they could allow new people, new guests to enter into God's family, allowing that space for entrance, but yet still holding fast even when circumstances try to break them. So when you look at your practice of loving deeply, how would you chart your growth so far? The third on our list is hospitality. Hospitality was the chief bond that brought the early church together and created a sense of unity. There were no church buildings, and so the the body of believers would gather together to meet together, to eat together, to worship together in one another's homes. 
Preachers and missionaries traveled from town to town with teachings and letters, and when they came, they depended on the hospitality of the local believers for provision and for safety. This time together provided mutual support for both the hosts and the guests. So here in 2022, there may be some of us that are called in a similar way to open our homes to missionaries who are coming into town or for other members of our church family who have need of this kind of hospitality. But for most of us, hospitality is going to look a little different. Hospitality is about investing in people. I know people in this church family that are feeling isolated I know people that have had a difficult time over the holidays and they are feeling lonely and separated from the community that they love. And most of us feel only marginally connected even to our own church family because of the past two years of this pandemic. So ask God to show you how you can invest relationally with your church family. How can you share what you have to make someone else's experience here better? Maybe it's sharing your time sharing your table, sharing your knowledge, sharing your networks. The goal of hospitality is providing time, time that will allow you and your guest to connect more deeply. And this isn't meant to be onerous. This isn't about feasting and food. This isn't about how clean your home is or if you've even taken your Christmas decorations down, although we found out from Devin that's still allowable. Um, Peter instructs hospitality to be done here without grumbling. It's not an obligation, but it's a privilege that's offered to God's people to support one another in their journey of faith. So give yourself enough margin to be able to invest relationally, whether it's over a meal or a walk or a cup of coffee. And if you don't have enough margin, now's a good time to reevaluate your calendar and make sure you do. So when you look at how you invest in relationships, how would you measure up? Peter's final imperative here is to serve one another. This is mutual service, each one serving and each one receiving. God as creator and sustainer of the church has lavishly distributed a variety of gifts and abilities to his people. And then he has knit them together in one body in this family so that when they all work together, the household functions smoothly. As it should. If you have put your trust in Jesus Christ, in the work that he has done on the cross for you, if you have received the forgiveness he offers for all the wrongs that you have done, you have been entrusted by God with a divine gift, a divine grace that, you, that is unique to you. God has entrusted you with this gift for not, on, not for your benefit, but so that you have something that you can share with the wider community the church. Peter lists here only two categories of gifts, speaking and serving, in contrast to Paul, who lists lengthy lists of spiritual gifts in other parts of the New Testament. But Peter here was really intending to talk more about how we use the gifts more than the specificity. But you'll notice that he said, we are stewards of grace in its various forms. So Peter knew that there were a variety of ways that we would be gifted, not just two. But let's take a look at each of these categories. Speaking. Serving through speaking. 
While some are called to great oratory in front of thousands, and others are called into academic discourse that are training the next church leaders of the future, the vast majority of Jesus' followers, the 99% of God's family, myself included, are called to be faithful communicators of God's word and Jesus' story for whomever God places in front of us. Moms and dads, Grandmas and grandpas here, you are entrusted to speak the very words of God to your little, the little ones in your family, whether that be over breakfast or at bedtime or in the car as you're going from place to place, you have important words to say. And for everyone, whenever we have the ability to write a card expressing sympathy to someone going through a loss or send a letter talking about the story of our own lives and what God is doing for us when we send that letter to a family member or a friend or even type a quick Bible verse or an eternal truth and send it in an email to a text or a text to a friend. We are speaking God's word to our brothers and sisters. But guard your tongue though, for you hold a great responsibility and many an injury has been caused by words spoken or given in haste without forethought. When Jesus sent out his disciples to teach, he warned them that they were going to face difficulties and they were afraid they didn't know what to say. But Jesus told them, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. The words given to us are meant for us to instruct one another, to encourage one another, to sympathize with one another, and to strengthen one another. Whether in written word or spoken word, Peter is encouraging us all to use the words that God has given us to build up his household, the church. So considering how you use your words to bring glory to God, how would you measure your growth? Likewise, our service is meant to bring one another face-to-face with God's presence. All who serve should do this work with joy, as if we were serving God. Peter tells us that this is not possible apart from God's strength. Maybe, like me, you have known the weariness of serving, serving for God in your own strength, when the work feels like a burden, and at the end, you feel tired and not joy. But contrast that to times when you've been serving in God's strength, when, when the strength he provides multiplies your effort, efforts, when the time flies by and at the end of the day, you feel like you've received way more than you've given. When it says that God provides the strength, the English translation loses a little bit in the word provides. For what's not intended is that God just gives us strength. But this word in the Greek conveys that God lavishly equips and trains us for the work that he has called us to, like a benevolent Greek patron who has funded a full chorus for the theater production. God will provide for us more than we could ever ask or imagine to do the work that he has gifted us for and the work that he has called us into. He wants to cultivate in us not just a superficial trust of him, but that scary dependence When you step out in faith, knowing full well the limits of your own ability and trusting that he will provide. Paul had experienced this as he shared in God's words to him as he was feeling weak himself in 2 Corinthians 12. God told Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, 
for my power is made perfect in weakness. See, Paul realized his limitations. He realized his weaknesses. And that's why he concluded his paragraph by saying, for when I am weak, then I am strong. Not strong in himself, but strong because he is allowing God to work through him. This is the final measure, serving in God's strength. Each of you in Christ is a unique and valued and vital part of God's family, the church. Through your faith in Jesus Christ, God has blessed you, God has trusted you, and God has empowered you so that in your relationships with one another, you can love one another, you can accept one another, and you can serve one another. So look at your self-assessment today. And pick one. Pick one to commit to for growth in, to intentional growth in over this coming year. Ask God for his wisdom, for his strength, and for his lavish provision to allow you to grow in this area. I trust that you'll be able to come back this time next year, and we'll see how far both you and our church family have grown. Let's pray. Father God, we are amazed at the great bounty of gifts that you have given to your people. Help us to be disciplined so that we can grow in our relationship with you. Give us words to pray so that you can reveal yourself to us more fully. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, so that we can love one another deeply through our time and through our words and through our actions and knit us together as one body whose life reflects your glory both inside and outside of these walls. And if any here today have been holding off, putting their faith in your son, Jesus, I pray, Lord, that this is the day that your love becomes real and your church feels like home to them. May we live out this picture of your household faithfully in such a way to make your presence a reality in this community. For your glory alone, we pray in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.